is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And my name is Jenny. My name is Christina. And my name is Jasper. My name is Sophie. And my name is Izzy. This is Rita. And my name's Siobhan. And I'm Lucy. And my name is Dennis. Val here. And my name is Ben. My name is Chris. This is Enwin. My name is Lachlan. And this is Bianca. And my name's Lisa. My name is Emma. This is Josh. And Gail. It's Daniel Tudge. And I'm James Dwyer. And my name's Natalie. My name is Debster. And I'm Glenn from sunny England. And this is The Talking Dead number 500, recorded on Tuesday, October the 6th, 2020. Welcome to the program, everybody, everybody out there listening, everybody who recorded their name, and you, Jason. Well, that was awesome. It gave me shivers and chills and such. Wasn't it great? My God, that turned out so great. So much better than I thought it might. Um, I, I loved it. I loved it. And and you'll hear lots more voices at the end of the show, but those were the 20 that we chose randomly for the top, and it was fantastic. Nice. It was, it was great. Thanks everybody for sending those in. Yeah, so much. So in case you're wondering, the first five voices you heard other than Jason and I were our families. And, you know, I thought it was prudent. I should say we thought it was prudent to include them there because, you know, they are voices you, most of which have never heard on the program Mm -hmm. before. But they're nearly as big a part of this podcast as we are, because if it wasn't for them, you know, we wouldn't be doing this. If it wasn't for their support and letting us sit here for a few hours every, you know, twice a week, every two nights a week, it just, it wouldn't be the same. So you, you heard our wives, Jenny and Christina and our kids, Jasper, Sophie and Isabel. And man, Jasper sounds like a, he has such a cute voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a good kid. Totally. Um, and then after that, there were the 20 chosen randomly, except for the last one, which was Glenn in sunny England. And of course, this whole thing was his idea. So I thought it was fair to include him there at the end. But thank you so much to everyone for sent them in, for sending them in. We got an amazing cross-section of, of longtime listeners who've been writing or calling in for a long time. We got new voices that I'd never heard before. And, you know, it's kind of Kind of a bummer that we couldn't put them all at the beginning, but uh, the rest will be at the end. Mm-hmm. All right. Jason, how's your week going? It's Tuesday. The Walking Dead is back on TV, or at least the main show is back on for, for one net, one episode, which we're going to talk about here. But um, there's other Walking Dead content to get to as well, which we will be doing probably on a future podcast. But tonight it's going to be all about the sort of season 10 finale. What do you mean sort of? It was the finale. It's the finale. It is. But, you know, it's just a long time coming. Yeah. I say sort of because, you know, they've extended season 10 or 10.5, as I've been calling it. And this had some big moments. 
It had some good character stuff. We kind of got resolution to a lot of things, but I couldn't help but feel like it wasn't the most momentous season finale of all time, which I think there's a number of reasons for. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt a little out of touch and this seemed like, it's very much seemed like a finale, but mentally I wasn't prepared for a finale, right? The finale usually comes at the end of the season. Whereas now we had months and months and months between what was essentially the end of the season and this finale. So it does, uh, I, I feel like a, a fish out of time. Mm-hmm. Is it a fish out of water? What's, <laughs> what's out of time? Uh, a DeLorean out of time? Doc Brown out of time? Yeah, maybe. Anyway, well, fish are time travelers. I don't know if you know that, but fish can travel through time. They just, they don't know it because they're really, really dumb. But oh, okay. uh, they are, uh, yeah, a bit of a time traveler. They say the goldfish only has a three second memory. Mm-hmm. That's because they're skipping around in time. They don't know. They don't give a shit. They don't see time the same way we do. Interesting. Very yeah. good. Anyway. But I know what you're saying because we've waited, what is it, six months since the last episode of the show. And normally at this time of the year, we'd be getting the next season premiere, but here we are, all this build up to one episode, and now there's nothing again until sometime early next year. So it it felt a little weird to me. It felt like there was a lot of build up to this. I was very excited for it. I, I thought the episode was great, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, there we go. One episode, one and done. And now what do we do? So. Yeah. Well, I think that's the problem is that normally when we wait this kind of time between things, it's, uh, you know, it's from the finale to the, to the premiere or it's between movies, right? So it's a, it's a, a completely encapsulated story. You know, when we wait for a long time and then we watch something, it's picking up, uh, you know, there's some, a sense of, Okay, something new, something, you know, they're going to give us some very basic low-level plot points, but this is a continuation of a story from so long ago, and it wasn't planned. Like, we've talked about uh, the amount of time between seasons of Mad Men or Battlestar Galactica or, uh, you know, series that have taken long hiatuses. Hiatus Mm -hmm. I? Hiatus? Hiatus I, I would say. Hiatuses. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and even then... It's planned, right? So at the end of it, they have a chance mentally for you to catch up again, to find, to remember what's going on. This was just like, whoa, 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 left, right, and center. I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm like, what, what? Oh yeah, right. It's because I don't, I never go back and watch it. I was thinking about going back and rewatching a couple of episodes, but I didn't do it because I couldn't morally break my rule just for this stupid COVID thing. (laughs) Uh, So it was a little jarring. Is basically what I'm saying is that uh, I did enjoy it, but it was a little jarring. It was much better on the second watching when I was prepared mentally for the uh, the plot points that were getting tied up. Right, right. Well, I I hear what you're saying. I was I was leading up to it. I was getting excited. There was a lot of build up. I I knew it was going to be fun to watch. It for me though, it was just like, oh my god, Walking Dead is back but it's back for one day only, you know, one, one day only big sale, (laughs) walking dead. Um, and here we are now going into other shows, of course, and fear starts again, uh, next week. Um, Seriously? Yeah. Fear starts on Sunday. So we have world Mm. beyond and fear the walking dead going at the same time. Now, uh, we will discuss what we're going to do there a little bit more at the end of this podcast, but right now, Let's get into our recap of season 10, episode 16, titled A Certain Doom. 
So doom is certain. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> on a long enough timeline, absolutely. Uh, that's right. Yeah. All right. Well, we open with Father Gabe. He's running through the hospital where everybody is has been hiding, and he bumps into Diane, who drops a big load of arrows. But it's basically panic throughout the place. That is, of course, because Beta and his massive horde of zombies are right outside the front door. And Father Gabe comes across RJ and Gracie. I believe it was Gracie, the kids mm -hmm. there. And they are scared, of course. So he starts saying that the communities together, you know, apart, they're just individuals, but together they make a mighty weapon. And he lists off Alexandria, the people of the kingdom, Hilltop, Oceanside, and he includes what he calls the others, the ones that aren't here. That so, a couple of things. I was a little confused by that. I'm like, the others? Wait, that's not this show, is it? <laughs> Wrong show, a, Father Gabe. That's a whole different show. Yeah. And he was holding up four fingers like the uh, uh, the Left for Dead logo, that uh, that zombie video game. Oh, right. But in the yeah. logo, I think the one finger the thumb is gone. missing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it just it reminded me of that. I'm like, oh, that's that logo from that video game I really like. That unfortunately I played until I got the red ring of death and then stopped. Oh, the game was so good. It killed your Xbox. It, yeah, it destroyed my Xbox. Amazing. Luckily I had two weeks left on the extended warranty. So I got a refurb one Ooh. Uh, for free. Good but for you. Anyway. Well, while he's doing, while Father Gabe is doing this uh, sort of speech or voiceover to the kids, we see Daryl, Carol, and Kelly getting back to the hospital and they have to kill a zombie as they make it in through the door. We get a glimpse of Ezekiel, Eugene, Yumiko, and Princess riding their bikes. If you recall, they found the bikes in that garage, and so they're on the road. Mm -hmm. We see Virgil, who shows up back at Oceanside, but finds nobody there, right? Yep. So in case Kitty. you were wondering what Virgil was doing, he's at Oceanside. Mm -hmm. uh, we check in with Aaron and Alden, who are fighting zombies in the woods, and they encounter a masked and hooded ninja-type guy who's wielding these strange hooked weapons. Uh, what did you think about this dude when you first saw him? Well, I think the mask was a little over the top and the hooked weapons were very custom. Uh, it reminded me of some kind of GI Joe villain. What was, uh, what was his name? <laughs> In GI Joe, it was, it was a, Cobra. Co yeah, Cobra. But there was, um, uh, there was a guy that was dressed all in black and well, then there was, was a guy that was dressed all in white. Yeah. So that was Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. The, yeah. The ninjas. I, I, I knew you'd know, uh -huh. but that, that's what it reminded me of. I'm like, oh, G.I. Joe, I guess. Well, I, you know, I didn't think that, but I did think this person looked pretty, pretty badass. Like, yeah. you know, um, the, the weapons were very cool. These like serrated hook type thingers, which, uh, I did, you know, I couldn't help but think, oh, those would get stuck in a zombie head so easy. And then you're in trouble. But, you know, I guess if you really yeah. know how to use them, then you're okay. Well, that's the thing, right? Is, uh, you need to, you need to have skills with it. Like even Michonne, when she's, you know, slicing, slicing through zombies, mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy to get, uh, a sword or a katana hung up inside of what is or used to be a person. Uh, so you have to know how to do that. And they train you how to do that when you start, when you're using a sword. So I assume that this is the same kind of thing is that as long as you're skilled, everything is fine. But if you're just swinging a thing like a baseball bat, uh, no matter what the weapon is, it's going to get hung up and you're pretty much going to have to get new weapons every 14 seconds. Right. You're going to be in trouble. So we see this guy and then, I, I, sh I shouldn't say guy, we see this person. We don't know if this person's male or female or something else. So 
Someday we'll find out maybe, but we immediately see Maggie digging up a box with a letter in it. And I didn't read the whole letter, a freeze frame and read it, but she does learn that Jesus, Tara, Enid are all dead and about the whisperers. So mm-hmm. this is, this is the walking dead universe mail system and how they've been communicating with Maggie. Someone leaves a letter in this box. She picks it up, probably responds, puts a letter in the box and they pick it up later on. We know there has been some communication between the two, but the show did not waste any time showing us Maggie again. No, they got right, right to it. Right to it. And I, I thought that was really great. And I must admit, it was so good to see her again. She's such a fantastic character and I'm glad to have her back. Yeah, me too. You know, uh, meanwhile, Father Gabe is continuing his voiceover about how strong they are together, uh, reassuring the kids. There are zombies outside the hospital. Beta is among them, of course. They're chanting and he kind of suddenly imagines them all turning towards him and they're saying their common refrain, we are the end of the world. And he instructs them to begin. It was, uh, yeah. And then we get the cold and then we sorry, then we get the opening credits, right? We get a big overhead shot of the hospital and there appear to be tens of thousands of zombies around it. And we go to the opening credits. Yeah. That was, um. I think this this gave me chills as well. I think this 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 shot. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the whispers, but I think Beta is pretty cool, and I like this actor. Uh, all of a sudden, I forget his name. For Ryan some Hurst. Reason. Ryan Hurst. Thank you. And uh, so I was very happy with this, and uh, and then there was like a a strong beat behind uh, the opening. Like there was mm-hmm. uh, it was it was very musical, and I thought it was very powerful. And the shot of the, all the zombies and him hallucinating, you know, actually being in control of these zombies. Yeah. Uh, and then being extensions of himself. I thought this was uh, probably one of the best opening scenes uh, in The Walking Dead. I have to agree. I think it was done really well. And of course, the the straight down overhead shot is walking is a Walking Dead staple, right? They've been doing it since the pilot episode, really. And yeah it's kind of just a throwback to all kinds of previous episodes where they do this. And this one, yeah. I don't know if this one had the most zombies in it ever, but it sure looked like a lot. <laughs> yeah. And this also reminiscent of the comic, right? Remember the two page or the two panel, uh, you know, panorama shots that they would have in the comics every now and again. Yeah. It's very much like that as well. So, which I really liked. Always really good. Uh, James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania said, holy crap, that was a great open. Father Gabriel gave his best narrative and the visuals were great. So there you go. Thank you, James. After the opening credits, we are with Eugene and the group on the road. Now, somehow Eugene has wrecked his bike and hurt himself. <laughs> we, don't, yeah. we don't see what happens, but he's bleeding and he's sitting there and he's sort of lost faith that they will make it to meet Stephanie in time. And he suggests they turn back. Uh, yeah. And it was, uh, I don't know, in order to wreck your bike that thoroughly, you got to be going on a pretty good clip or you got to get hit by a car. And I don't think they were going that fast. Well, the, the scene during the cold open, they did seem to be moving reasonably quick, but we, we can probably assume they sped up because he's worried about getting there in time. Right. So maybe they were really, really pushing it. He hits a pothole, destroys the front of his bike, flies over the handlebars and lands on his face. Um, I've been riding bikes for a lot of years. 
I've fallen off my bikes many times. I've been hit by cars a couple of times. I've hit other people on bikes. I've been in some, uh, you know, some incidents and not once have I ever bent my tire like that. Well, that is pretty serious. It could say, it could speak to the quality of the bike too. You never know. Like maybe it was about to fall apart anyways. Well, okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you that, but you, yeah, I just, uh, I just believed the severity of this accident. Sure. Well, either way, he was, he was not feeling so great and, uh, was worried they weren't going to get there in time. But Ezekiel gives him this speech about not wavering in a moment of doubt and how they must complete the journey for themselves and the ones that they left behind. And he reinvigorates Eugene. So they continue on their way, even though he still kind of thinks that Stephanie will be gone after sundown the next day, he says. Mm -hmm. He's saying they can't get there in time, basically. Right. We cut back over to the hospital where Carol and Daryl are setting some wire traps in a staircase. And they're talking about Michonne leaving to help some people. And Carol says that the only way she'd leave is knowing that Daryl was staying behind to care for Judith and RJ. And uh, Daryl is worried that he'll never see her again as he sort of walks past. And Carol says, you know, I'm still here. (laughs) Right. And that's it. I think she was feeling a little bit unappreciated there. Eh, what are you going to do? The zombies, the zombie apocalypse has happened. I mean, every once in a while you're going to feel under, underappreciated. Yeah, that's, that may be true. Uh, Father Gabe is going over the plan with everybody. He says that they're going to lead the horde away. And Luke has created a sound system to install in a wagon, which mm-hmm. is on the, which is, you know, out on the road past the zombie horde that surrounded this hospital. They are going to put on the gormiflage and sneak through the horde in teams of two, one person sort of protecting and one person muling the cargo that they need to get to the wagon to set up the uh, sound system. Uh, Lydia offers to go, but two of the women from Oceanside say they won't do it if she's involved because they they don't trust her yet. But Gabe says, no, that's okay. Lydia's job is in here. That's a good leader thing to do. Uh, on Father Gabe's part? Yeah. I think so. I, I think so. I mean, you, you know, alleviate the stress and, you know, uh, she has a job to do. And I think that was a, that was a nice, that was a nice, uh, nice moment for him. And, and, you know, incidentally, Father Gabe played a huge part in this episode, right? Like he was really in charge in there. He was calling the shots. It seemed like it was his plan. And, you know, he's a character that hasn't unless I'm forgetting something, hasn't had a ton to do on the show in a while. I'm probably understating that, but uh, um, still, like, it was nice to see him really step up and sort of get the job done here. You know what I mean? I do. Uh, We go to, uh, well, we're still in the hospital, and Carol goes to Diane, who is in some kind of armory, sort of getting things organized and ready. And she, Diane, of course, is pissed about Negan helping the Whisperers attack Hilltop. Because if you recall, Negan helped them attack Hilltop and now Hilltop is destroyed. Carol apologizes because she's the one who let Negan out to go to the Whisperers. And after Diane leaves, Carol puts a knife up her sleeve. You know how she loves to put weapons up her sleeves. Yeah, like, you know, automatic weapons. Right. Previously. (laughs) In this case, just a regular knife. 
Yeah, it seems a little lowbrow, but whatever. You know, whatever. Lydia comes in and says that she doesn't hate her for what she did. And of course, she's referring to the fact that Carol released Negan and then killed Alpha, who was her mother. Mm -hmm. And Lydia says that things are better for her with Alpha dead. She was never my mother anyways. She wants to be friends with Carol, but says she's not looking for another mom. And Lydia's exact quote was, it can be something else. She's looking for a friend. She's looking for a mentor. I don't really know, but she's trying to say, we're good. I understand your, your man killed my mother, but she wasn't my mother anyways. So let's put it behind us. Sure. So the teams are getting ready. Luke and Jules are putting on Gore. He says he'll have her back out there. We see Daryl give Kelly a whisperer mask, which she's going to wear. Jerry makes sure Magna is okay. They're going to be out there together. And Negan comes up and says he's not going. He thinks the whisperers will recognize him, but Daryl says he's got to put his ass on the line just like everybody else. You got to have some skin in the game, my friend. Yes, you do. So the teams get into a foyer of some kind. Uh, they, you know, Gabe and Judith close a door behind them. Then Jerry opens the outer door, letting a crowd of zombies in. They kind of all mingle together and then they make their way out into the horde slowly. Right. So if I understand this correctly, the door opens out. So it's not a sliding door. It's a regular door and it opens out and there's a bunch of zombies outside that Uh are all banging on the glass. Yep. But when he goes to open the door, all the zombies are like, oh, the door's opening. Let's all take a collective few steps back in Mm -hmm. order to allow them to open the door. And then other zombies are like, well, thanks for opening the door. This sounds like a great party. Let's go in and mingle. That's right. They go in and they mingle a little bit. Then everybody, uh, including all the zombies, are like, man, this party sucks. I'm leaving. (laughs) So they just kind of all meander out. Yeah, that's basically what happened. It reminds me of when you... When you order food now, sometimes often the instructions are for the, the delivery person to leave the food on your step or whatever, like outside yep. your door. So you can have no like contact, contactless exchange. Exactly. But what happens sometimes is they don't think it through and they put the food like right up at your door. So you can't open the door or without knocking your food over. Oh, goddamn! Amazon has been doing that for like weeks now they lean the fucking package up against the doorstep which makes a perfect (laughs) blocker for the door and it wedges right in and i can't get the door open because the goddamn package i have to go through another door all the way around the house to get this package there's a table i put a there's this metal uh and concrete table that came with the house it's a yard table it's meant to be outside it's sitting right next to the door Mm -hmm. it's right there that's what it's for Put the food on the on the <laughs> table. Put the package on the table. This is why I have the table. Nobody seems to understand. I that. mean, you need a sign on the table. You need a delivery table or something. Yeah, put the goddamn thing on the table. We're home. Like yeah. we're always home. Nobody's going anywhere. Yeah. So it's not like you have to hide the package for, uh, you know, door thieves. Mm-hmm. Because we're home. We see you. There's a big goddamn window right there. We know you came to the door. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that bothered me a little bit about this scene is that, sure, everybody put on trench coats and smeared guts all over themselves, but nobody put it on their face. Well, yeah. And like, is is that a nitpick? Yeah, maybe. They had hoodies on. I just, I just wanted them to be 
fully covered. Like, pull a nick on Fear the Walking Dead and smear your face in blood. Like, it's got to be safer. I know Kelly was wearing a mask, um, but, like, smear the guts on your face. That's part of the camouflage. Right. But so, it's the same problem that Iron Man and Spider-Man have. Right in uh, in the in the comics, no problem. Right, we all know it's Spider Man. We all know it's uh, it's friggin' Iron Man. But in the movies, you know, you don't want to watch Iron Man. You want to watch Robert Downey Jr. So the mask comes off. Right, as soon as he has any kind of dialogue, he you know he flicks an imaginary switch inside his suit somehow. I'm not sure how he does it. I've never quite figured it out. But the whole thing just folds back now. And friggin' Spider Man has always taken his mask off. In sure. all the movies, because, you know, you don't want the, you, if you want the actor on the screen, if you're going to pay the actor, you got to have the actor on the screen. I know. So, and makeup for that kind of, that kind of makeup probably takes a lot of work and a lot of maintenance, right? It makes for a long shooting schedule. You have to have continuity. It's better just to kind of paint their faces kind of dirty and uh, white so they look scared and gaunt, like their faces are all... Uh, you know, all the blood is drained out of their faces, which well, is how I, I noticed. I don't think, were. I don't think that's an excuse. I think they should have put gore on them. Like they want this to be, they want to be safe out there. They want this to work. And yet they're, they're walking out completely barefaced. They may be scared and stuff like that, but come on. This is the way the gourmetflage works. You put it all over yourself. Right. So you would have put, you know, uh, people's bowels on your face. <laughs> Come on, man. This is the zombie apocalypse. You do what you got to do. All right. I'm just, you know, clarifying. Yeah. Because that's what they're doing, right? They're digging around and they'll go in, in the rib cage. It's too hard. You dig around in the stomach and the, and the bowel area and you pull that crap out and you wipe it on your face. That's got to smell something awful. Well, that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Anyhow, we go to a commercial and when we come back, we are looking out Kelly's eyes through her mask. There's walkers all around. The, the groups of two are making their way through. We've got Carol with Beatrice. We've got Daryl, Kelly, Luke and Jules. They start holding hands as they're walking. And we've got Magna and Jerry. And he kind of sneaks up behind her and puts his hand on her shoulder and <laughs> Daniel and Melbourne said, my holy crap, did you see that was when Jerry put his hand on Magna's back. I thought that was surely a whisperer and freaked out. Yeah. I mean, I thought so too. And I think that was kind of the point. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, if you're in the middle of a zombie apocalypse and you're trying to go through a, uh, a horde of zombies in Gormiflage and in, in amongst those zombies are people dressed as zombies that are going to stab you in the back uh, at any given chance, uh, you know, maybe don't put your hand on your buddy's shoulder because that's a good way for them to turn around and put a knife in your face. I, it really is. Yeah. I'm saying you, you got to be careful. That's um, like, uh, that's like two, uh, you know, you know, elite soldiers going into a building and when somebody's trying to sweep a building with their, uh, with their, you know, loaded firearm, sneaking up on them as a surprise. Surprise, I'm here. Terrible idea. And you're, you're likely to get shot. Well, not likely because those guys are professionals and, you know, they, they assess the situation before they pull the trigger. But still, it's worse than the alternative, which is stay the fuck away and don't do that shit. <laughs> That's right. Definitely a good idea. But speaking of whisperers, a big... Well, one appears with a big knife and suddenly he's taken down by an arrow 
and eaten by the other zombies that are crowding around. And it turns out that Father Gabe and Lydia and a few others are up in a window spotting whisperers and picking them off in the crowd with arrows. So they're, mm-hmm. they're following our teams through and if they can identify a whisperer in the crowd because they're acting like a human rather than a zombie or carrying a big knife or something, they're picking them off. Yeah. It's like, um, what's his name in the Avengers? The bone arrow guy. I forget. His Hawkeye. Name. Hawkeye. Thank you. Yeah. He's just, it's Overwatch, right? Right. You, got, you always, you always have some Overwatch. Of course. But did you see that one lady with the bow and she's got the bow drawn and it's up by her friggin' ear? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that, that bow really doesn't take a lot of strength to, uh, to pull. Usually it's, you know, a lot stronger than that. And pulling, a, you know, drawing a long bow takes a lot of strength, mm-hmm. like a hell of a lot. That's why they have compound bows so that you can have the, the pulley system helping you out in that regard. But that person, that thing was weighed up by her ear. That was laughable. I, I don't think that arrow was going anywhere near where she intended it. Well, that, and if it got, more than three or four feet in front of her when she let go, I'd be a little surprised. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was kind of funny. I will, I will give you that. She needed to work on her bow drawing acting abilities there, but what are you going to do? I can just hear the uh, Greg, Nic- Greg Nicotero and the editor, I didn't catch the name, uh, in the editing bay going, Jesus Christ, what the hell are they doing? We can't use that shot. It's like, well, we have to use that shot. It's the best one of the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. Like, oh, man, really? I got to put that on TV? Anyway. I'm afraid they did. I'm um, afraid they did. But this, up here, this was what Lydia's job was. She is able to look down because she was a former whisperer, she was able to look down and better identify the whisperers in the crowd so that she could say, you know, there's one, pick them off. That's why she stayed behind. Yep. Uh, now Beta, he sort of notices what's going on and he instructs the whisperers to tighten the herd. So everybody's getting squeezed together now, which causes the team up in the window to, to lose them. They can't follow what's going on in the crowd anymore. And they don't know what to do, but suddenly there's an explosion in the staircase. This is what Carol and Daryl were setting up earlier in case, you know, people got into the building, they hit a tripwire and exploded. And Judith is there. So she sees whisperers coming up the staircase at them. With nails in their eyes and stuff. Right. So it was some sort of nail grenade, right? Well, there was nails on the string and there was, uh, I think he hung a grenade on there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but, uh, yeah, there was nails involved. Yeah. Cause they was... had two can, they each had a can of nails, right? So they were doing something with the nails. Uh, and then this guy shows up with, uh, you know, half his face burned and the other half full of nails. It's like, Jesus, that guy's still alive. Probably not for very long. Not for long. It was a pretty awesome shot though. Like it was, it looked pretty good. Michael in Ozark, New- Missouri says my holy crap moment is at the hospital when our four groups were walking among the dead and the archer snipers were picking off the whisperers. Why not take out beta? The guy stands shoulders above everyone else. Easy to see. Why not pick him off from the windows? Plot device shield. Plot device shield for now. Commercial break. And we return to father Gabe's team barricading the doors and planning their escape because they don't want those whispers coming up that staircase. Negan tells Lydia that this isn't going to end well for them. He's kind of saying, you know, like we're really still truly not part of this group. 
uh, no matter what happens, they won't trust us. So maybe they should just slip away on their own, right? This is their chance, he's saying. And he gives Lydia Alpha's skin mask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a little creepy, but he gives it to her. Yeah. Uh, she cries as she holds it, and Negan lowers himself down the elevator shaft with a rope. So what they've done is set up a rope down the shaft, and they're shimmying down it to get out so they don't have to go down the staircase. So they shimmy down the shaft so Correct. they don't have to go down the staircase. Is this the same elevator that uh, Beta fell down when uh, Daryl and Beta had the fight? No, different building. Well, I understand, you know, from a... Uh, oh. Did they you know, where the characters are. Yeah. But from a set point of view, it looked very similar to me. Oh, could have been. I mean, that I wouldn't be too surprised about. They they redressed it a little bit, but could have been the same set. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, it's weird to have an elevator uh, next to what looks like a hallway, right? Like it's right next to a hallway, like a, a, an open area. Usually a bank of elevators is on a, a wall by itself. This mm. had like an elevator and then beside it was this big open area. And the elevator shafts that Beta went flying down when he and Daryl were first fighting had the same kind of structure. It was an elevator with an open area to the left. Well, you know what's funny? I mean, maybe this is a set they were building, and when they shot that, they were actually still building it because it was a it was a work construction it was site. A construction site, yeah, right. Maybe that was a half built set. They finished it up, and then they shot the hospital in there. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, they do things backwards. I remember uh, I've never seen this movie, uh, Blues Brothers two thousand. Have you ever mm -hmm. seen it? Nope. Okay. I I'm you know my recommendation is don't. Okay. And that's what the kind of philosophy I've been living off of. But it was filmed in Toronto, uh, down where the Pan Am games, they re they just like decimated a whole uh, neighborhood and then they built a bunch of, uh, uh, a bunch of dorms for the Pan Am games one time. So down there, there was this bar and next to this bar was uh, the set that they built for this movie. And I remember my friend Daryl and I would drive by every once in a while. First, they built the burned out building. Like it was just all looked like it was uh, a burned down building. And then after that, they built the actual building that, uh, before it was burned out. I've never seen the movie. I don't know what's going on there, but I know that they built the burned down set first, which I thought was kind of odd. It's usually when you build a building and then tear part of it down and make it look like it burned out, but no, they built the burned out one first. So they do things odd. Yeah. And I don't think that, uh, they would necessarily... Well, obviously they did that one first because that was like a last season or so, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they, they do whatever is going to be the most economical, probably. Right. And those set guys, they're masterworks, master workers. They can do like some amazing magical things uh, for set dressing. I can't even believe some of the stuff that, uh, that I've seen sets dressed as. Yeah, pretty, totally. Pretty neat. Totally. And so fast. So we go back outside. And all of the teams but one have made it through the herd and are now kind of in the forest on the edge. They are waiting for Carol and Beatrice, who are still making their way through the crowd of zombies. A whisperer, who really reminded me of Gamma for some reason, but she's not alive anymore, uh, slices Beatrice. Right. And she, you know, has to fight back. The whisperer goes down, but ends up stabbing Beatrice in the leg Ouch. and they are both taken down by walkers, unfortunately. So we lose Beatrice, uh, but Carol keeps going because she can't 
do anything about it and she can't reveal herself, but she's lost the cargo. So this yep. is very, very important. Luke said earlier that, you know, all of it needs to get there for this to work. So nobody screw this up. So Carol's lost the cargo, but suddenly Lydia, appear, Lydia appears in her walker mask, picks it up and brings it to the rest of the group. Right. And when the zombies were eating, Beatrice and the other lady, I don't know her name, uh, they were ripping out her guts and stuff. And <laughs> one guy pulls out, he's got like a piece of her rib cage. Yeah. I'm like, how did they get through the ribs? Oh, right. They're really soft. These, you know, people just come apart yeah. in this, uh, in this universe. Leg comes off, you pull on it too hard, it just rips off. Mm-hmm. You grab a hold of the rib and the whole section of the rib cage comes off. Yep. Uh, man, it's gotta be tough in this, in this, in this universe. Yeah, it is. Michael in London says, holy crap, I'm never looking at a rack of barbecued ribs in the same way again after they just killed Beatrice. <laughs> Actually, that's exactly how I look at a rack of ribs. The last time I had ribs, uh, it upset my stomach so much that I thought I was going to die. Really? Like I went to, I went to rib fest. You, you know, rib fest. I, I love the concept of rib fest, but the last time I had ribs was at a rib fest and this was like five years ago and, uh, it damn near killed me and I will not eat ribs anymore. I well, can't do it. The last time I had ribs was on the weekend and we made them at home and they were delicious. I, I can't do it. It's, it's too rich. It's too, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's too much for my, for, for my little tummy. Okay. Well, uh, don't eat, uh, pork ribs or human ribs. Either way, probably bad. I've never had human ribs. No, good. Probably good. A good idea that you haven't. Yeah. The other, other white meat. There you go. Back inside, the whisperers are chopping through the door that Father Gabe and his group have barricaded. And Daryl tells uh, Gabe on the radio that they'll have the Pied Piper wagon going soon, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to lead the zombies away. So after a commercial break, we return to Beta and the other whisperers in the horde. Suddenly, we hear burning down the house by talking heads. (laughs) And of course, the walkers turn to follow the noise. And here's something interesting. A whisperer shuffles past Beta and says, the end is almost here. Our end. Which was I don't weird. think that was a whisperer. That was a zombie. Oh, you think he was Beta- hallucin He was hallucinating that. Oh, okay. That makes a little more sense because I don't think a whisperer would, would say that or reveal it. Not to Beta anyways. So maybe he was hallucinating that and it was a zombie talking to him. It makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it was a zombie. Okay. Back inside, the whisperers who are chopping through the door throw one of those nail grenades in through the door. Father Gabe and Rachel dive out of the way, but two other survivors are killed. So a couple more people we lose there. Well, where'd they get the grenade? I guess they picked it up from one of the booby traps that Daryl and Carol were were messing with. I, I guess so, unless they brought their own. But I think maybe, yeah, they used their own weapon against them. See, that's the problem with, uh, you know, leaving weapons lying around is whoever you're trying to protect yourself against can easily just pick them up and use them. I guess so. Right? Yeah. I mean, look at video games. Anytime you're in a video game, where do you get your weapons and ammo from? The previously slain victims. Just lying around. Right. You commit murder, you take their weapons. Uh (laughs) So you can commit more murder. So this was, uh, yeah, this is the problem with leaving stuff around. And it's also a, a, a maddening... Uh, thing for dungeon masters, because in order to defeat the party or to give your party a big challenge, you have to throw a whole bunch of stuff at them, including 
uh, bad guys with magic weapons, magic magic items, weapons, swords, uh, you know, wands, staffs, rods, whatever you whatever you have. But as soon as your party defeats them, all of a sudden they get all these magic weapons uh-huh. and magic items. So it's hard to uh, protect yourself from your players because you keep having to give them more and more powerful magic items uh, in an attempt to give them a challenge. Got it. Yeah. So you leave grenades lying around. Somebody's going to pick that shit up, throw it back at you. Right. And that's exactly what happened here. And two people were killed. So we are outside again. It's nighttime now. We're on the road with talking heads and the horde is following them. Whisperers come in through the horde of zombies though, and use the first sort of row of zombies as shields. So the people protecting the wagon can't hit them with arrows. Mm-hmm. And then more whisperers come in from the forest to the sides. They fight them off, but ultimately the wagon is destroyed. They have to abandon it and retreat. And then the whisperers kill the music. Right. So I mean, they can't, they had to know this was going to happen though, right? I, I think so. It didn't seem like it in the show, but you know, the whisperers attack here was pretty well coordinated. And I think using those zombies as zombie shields was a brilliant idea on their part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it was pretty good. You know, don't just run out of that herd. We're going to get hit by arrows, push the zombies forward and, uh, we can get right up to them. Meat shields. Meat shields. Exactly. So they're in the forest. They're talking about what to do. Daryl suggests that they go back in and hunt the skins, take them out one by one. Lydia says she can lead the zombies away because Alpha taught her how to do it. And Luke says it's suicide because there's no wagon to lead them off the cliff. So this Mm. is their plan. Wagon them away to a cliff, throw the wagon off, all the zombies will follow and the whole horde will go off the cliff. But now they don't have a wagon, so they need a human to do it. But... They don't want to send a human off the cliff because, as Luke says, that's suicide. But Lydia signs up for the job anyway. Yep. Yep. Inside, Father Gabe tells everybody to leave, but he'll stay and stop them from cutting the rope down the elevator shaft. Judith says no, of course, but she ultimately goes, and Gabe is left alone. He points a shotgun at the door with whisperers coming through. He kills a couple of them quickly, but he is overwhelmed and just as one of them is going to chop him into pieces he's saved by maggie and her masked assassin friend and she says he's with me so we do know it's a he there we go no he's with oh was he saying he's with me to his masked friend about father gabe or was he saying he's with me to father gabe about gabe about her masked friend yeah maggie was saying to father gabe He's with me about the masked friend. Oh, I thought she was talking to her friend about Father Gabe. I don't think so, but either way, Father Gabe gets up, gives her a big hug, and it, I, I, I loved it. I loved the scene again. I liked seeing Maggie again. Her ninja assassin was very cool, mm-hmm. and she gets there just at the right time, you know, uh, and saves Father Gabe. I legitimately thought he was going to die here. Um, he's well, yeah, been around a long time, and I thought, you know what? If they're going to kill a major character. He's a solid candidate. Uh, yeah, I thought, uh, I wasn't overly confident that he was going to die. Uh, I thought something was going to save him. I thought we were going to get uh, something uh, for some reason, somehow he was going to be saved. And I guess I was right. I didn't know it was going to be Maggie and her masked vigilante friend. Mm-hmm. I assume he's a vigilante. I don't know why. 
Well, uh, bodyguard, but, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking Batman, right? Sure. Okay. He's probably a really good detective as well. <laughs> probably. And very yeah. rich. Of very course. rich. I, it's just how I envision him. Sure. And I, I do envision him as a him. Yeah, well, we, we know that now anyways. Uh, Michael on the internet says, my holy crap moment has to be the masked superhero with the ninja skills and weaponry who lends a hand, gets no explanation or anything, and saves Gabe's ass in classic deus ex machina fashion. Kind of reminds me of Michonne's first appearance, actually. He did kind of remind me of Michonne, uh, because she shows up, you know, cloaked in shadow uh, with her sword, uh, and she's, you know, able to kick a lot of ass and take a lot of names. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was very Michonne-esque. Totally. And like Michonne, when we first saw her, Denai Guerrero hadn't been cast yet. I wonder if this person's ever going to be unmasked if the actual actor hasn't been cast yet. I don't know. That, yeah. Those guys from uh, G.I. Joe were never unmasked, were they? Um, I In the whole history of G.I. Joe, I'm not sure, but kind of the idea was that, yeah, they never took their masks off. I only know the movies. Oh, man. I watched so much G.I. Joe cartoon when I was a kid. I collected the action figures. I still have a huge box of original G.I. Joe, like, you know, three inch or four inch action figures. They were my favorite as a kid. I'm very jealous, first of all, uh, for all of that, that uh, you get to watch the show and collect some toys and stuff. That never, I don't know, never happened. I may have seen an episode here or there, but I never knew the difference between Cobra Commander and the other guy. There's another bad guy. What's his name? Well, there's lots of them. Cobra is the organization. Cobra Commander was the, the lead. Destro, you might be thinking That's of. That's him. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so those are two distinct bad guys. I never knew that there was a difference until the movies. Okay. Well, now you do. Anyway. So I, but I knew you'd know the answer. As soon as I said masked guy in G.I. Joe that was all black and all wearing all black and the masked guy that was in G.I. Joe that was wearing all white, uh-huh. I knew exactly that, I knew that you would know exactly who these people are. Yep. It was my thing when I was a kid. Loved it. So whisperers are being killed in the herd now all around Beta because Daryl and those guys have come back. And as he said, they're hunting them one by one. Beta's a little confused about what's going on. He draws a knife, and suddenly Negan kind of whispers to him, hey, shithead, (laughs) which causes Beta to charge at Negan. They briefly fight. Beta is about to kill Negan, and he says, for Alpha. That's why he's doing this. Right. But Daryl arrives and puts a knife in each of Beta's eyes. But not the brain. (sighs) Well... So, cause it was down, right? It was like the knives were going down in his eyes, like through his jaw yeah. and I assume into his neck. So it was not like, they were not angled towards the brain. I mean, unless the parts of the brain they did hit didn't immediately kill him because he grabs them, simultaneously pulls both knives out, which was just an incredible scene, I thought. And you can see the knives, like he's got his mouth open and he's screaming. You can see the knives in his mouth. Oh, I don't know if you caught that, but no. it was it was pretty graphic, pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty graphic, amazing, and well done, Greg Nicotero and team. Absolutely. And of- yeah, I assume that there was some kind of uh, digital effect team that was involved in that because, yeah, that was not practical. Well, it looked awesome, and I thought it was a brutal death. Of course, he pulls them out, 
And as he's dying, we get a montage of Alpha. He, Beta imagines being surrounded by walkers and zombies worshipping him, but in reality, the zombies are taking him down and eating him. And then as Daryl and Negan watch, Negan says something like, holy shit, do you know who that asshole is? And Daryl's response is, yeah, nobody. Nobody. So good. So good. After all that build up to him being this country music star confirmed that his album was shown on Fear the Walking Dead. Yep. It all boils down to nobody. It was great. No. It was great. It was a good death. And, you know, at, at various points in this podcast, we speculated whether it was Daryl that would take him down or whether mm-hmm. it would be Negan that would take him down. Yep. I never really envisioned that it would have to be a combination of both. No, you're absolutely right. But I think, I, I love the way it played out. I mean, it was a pretty abrupt fight. Like it didn't take very long, but I, I just don't think it would when you have Negan and Daryl teaming up like that, you know, they, they may not have really gone in with the plan, but they executed whatever they were trying to do with perfection. And I thought it was great. It was amazing. It, it was pretty good. And at the end, that last shot where he, uh, envisions him being worshiped, him being worshiped by these zombies and then taking him down. There was one zombie that was giving him, uh, what looked like a very intimate embrace with a kiss. <laughs> right. It was, it was very, uh, it, like you see the emotion and how he was envisioning, uh, this succumbing to inevitability. Yeah. I didn't really catch that, but that's great. That's just tells you everything you need to know about, about beta. Right. Yeah. Well, Gemma in South Wales says, holy crap, Negan, I officially love him. Hey, shithead. And then Miles had this to say, holy crap. Did you see that? Negan takes off his mask Spider-Man style. Chris, you know what I'm talking about there. And we get this great exchange. Holy shit. You know who that asshole was? Yeah, nobody. That was badass. Although, I am torn between if Daryl wasn't really a country music fan, or if he really just doesn't give a damn. Congrats on 500, fellas. Thank you, Miles. So Thank uh, you. Yeah, nobody. Loved it. Commercial break. And we return to Lydia leading the horde towards this cliff. But uh, Carol has followed her, of course, and tells her to go. Carol says that this is her choice and she wants to finish it. So Mm -hmm. Carol is going to lead the zombies off the edge of the cliff. And And she gets to the edge of the cliff and pauses and looks down, of course. So the zombies catch up behind her. She's kind of bumped toward the edge. And just as she's stepping over, she falls to her death and the Carol and Daryl show is up in the air. <laughs> yeah, they lied to us, except that that didn't happen. I don't know what reality you watched this show in, but in the reality I watched it in, uh, that didn't occur. No, it did not occur. Lydia grabs her, drags her back, and the two of them huddle behind a rock as the horde plummets over this cliff just dozens at a time. Carol thanks her for saving her. They're both crying. Lydia, who still has her, who is wearing Alpha's skin mask, she takes it off and she chucks it over the cliff and the entire horde goes over. And I thought the shot and the symbolism, actually, of Lydia throwing this mask over the cliff was also really well done and and pretty beautiful. 
It it was. It was very, very symbolic and beautiful. And uh, you know what my primary thought was? Tell me. They're they're poisoning this water supply. All these dead bodies going into this river. I hope nobody was relying on this for clean drinking water downstream. <laughs> well, you know, the zombies will slowly wash away and the water will cleanse itself and you know, the planet heals. So hopefully that- take, that'll take a long time and they might get sick. Yeah, maybe. But for now the horde went over and um not only the horde went over, but Lydia's past went over with it. So she can start fresh right. and you know, be trusted by the group because if Carol likes you, everybody's gonna like you. Yeah. And if Carol doesn't like you, you die. You die. Exactly. So everybody who escaped has now gathered at some meeting point in the forest. They're kind of patching themselves up. We see Jerry's family. We see Rosita and the baby finally. I think that's her only scene in the episode. Aaron brings Gracie over to meet Maggie. And then of course, Judith comes to Maggie and they hug. It's been years since Maggie has seen Judith or any of them. So it was pretty emotional. Uh, Carol and Lydia show up and tell them that they did it. And Negan says to Lydia that he's still here for now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, Daryl says to Carol that he's good and it's over. She says she didn't get what she wanted and she never will, but he reminds her that she still got him. So this calls back to the beginning, right? Where he kind of ignored her, but now, now he isn't. They hug. And he mentions Mexico's still out there. And she says, maybe someday, but we still have things to do here. That's true. So Scott Gimple, if you recall last week on the podcast, Jason, I read a bunch of quotes from him and Angie Kang. And one of the things he said is to pay attention to episode 16, because we seed little things in about future plot lines, stories, spinoff shows and whatnot. Oh, right. So they're going to Mexico. So at some point, Carol and Daryl are going to hit the road for Mexico, or maybe just head west, and that's going to be our Daryl and Carol road show on the road. Right. They're off to Tijuana. That's where they're going. I don't know, but I think that's what he was talking about. All right. Well, there it is. Yep. So we cut to a really dirty hand, you know, lying on the ground. You think it's a zombie hand. It starts moving, but... Turns out it's attached to a living person, and who is it? It's Connie. Yay. Whom we haven't seen for a very, very long time since that whole cave thing. She looks to be in pretty rough shape, though. She gets up, she stumbles through the forest alone briefly, then collapses, but is found by Virgil, who's on horseback now. So I think we can assume that Connie is somewhere near Oceanside, unless Virgil has traveled somewhere, uh farther away with that horse but the two of them are together no idea where that's going don't really know what's been going on with connie why she's in such rough shape but it was good to see her again she was one of my favorite of sort of the newer characters and i loved her interactions with daryl so i hope they get back together soon and she comes back to the show i really hope that she gets the opportunity to take a bath because she is very dirty. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever been that dirty in my life. I don't think I have. I really don't think I have. Yeah. It was, it was shocking, actually. So good to see her, but yeah, she needs a quick shower. 
And in the final scene of the episode, we go back to Eugene and the gang who have come to the rendezvous point, which is an old train yard. It's night. There appears to be nobody around. So Eugene yells out his name. I'm like, dude, uh-huh. I mean, this far in, you, you're making that kind of noise? Like, seriously, man, what are you doing? Uh, what are you gonna, yeah, what are you going to do? It's Eugene. <laughs> I guess. Uh, but he yells it out. They sit around waiting, Eugene, of course, assuming that they're too late. He then tells them there are people out there, and therefore we are not turning back. We're going to keep trekking until we find them. Mm-hmm. So even though he's missed his rendezvous with Stephanie, or so he thinks, they're going to keep going because this is what they're going to do. They're going to try to find these other people. But suddenly, lights all come on, and they are surrounded by a bunch of soldiers. Stormtroopers. Yeah. Stormtroopers is the the word you're looking for. Okay. Some kind of white and red full armor, similar to stormtroopers. They yell at them to drop their weapons. They do. I think Princess is the last one to drop her weapon. And the episode ends. So who the hell are these guys, Jason? Uh, The Empire, I would assume. (laughs) Yeah, they must be. The Empire has landed, and here we are with Stormtroopers. They're an earlier model Stormtrooper. They've got the red on them still, but... I think they're a later model. Like, because Star Wars happened a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? So they've come a long way, and it's taken a long time. So they've evolved. I assume that somebody has given them lessons on aim, for example, like Uh on how to aim things. Like, there's only, like, two Stormtroopers that ever hit what they were looking at. Uh, but yeah, they, I thought the armor was a little silly. It did look very stormtrooper. It didn't even look like, it looked like stormtrooper cosplay armor, hmm. right? And I know that the real stormtroopers in the Star Wars were wearing plastic shells, right? Like I recognized that, uh-huh. but it, this did not look like real armor. This looked like the prop armor that... Uh, the stormtroopers in the seventies wore, as well as what cosplayers would wear to, a, you know, a comic con. Okay. So, so you thought they looked a little cheesy. And they, I think, I think silly is the word I'm looking for. A little bit silly. Okay. Uh, you know, a- any other thoughts about like who these people are, wh- how they fit into the show in any way, what they're doing? Like, why would there suddenly be heavily armed Stormtrooper-like people showing up out of nowhere like this. And what's going on, do you think? I know that's a difficult question at this point. It is a difficult question. I would assume it is, well, it doesn't really look military-esque, right? They don't, they didn't look like the military. Okay. So, because I don't think the military wears silly cosplay armor like this. Uh, You know, they wear body armor, right? And they would wear fatigues and, uh, anyway... Uh, so I don't think they're the army or the, sorry, the military. Uh, are they a bunch of, uh, underground bunker guys? You know, you mm-hmm. know, they've been living in a bunker for a bunch of years and they put together this armor out of, uh, cargo containers. I assume that they built it from cargo containers, like melted it down <laughs> and, uh, yeah. uh, cause the whole train yard is full of cargo containers. I have no idea who these people are, but they're well armed and well armored. Yes, I they assume. are. They look silly, but I assume that the, you don't even need this kind of armor. If you're fighting the zombies, you don't need this. You need what, what you need is like magazines. 
right? All you need is to be covered in magazines and you'll be fine. Or uh, inner bicycle inner tubes, right? Just wrap yourself in like inner tubes uh-huh. and nobody's going to bite through that. Humans cannot bite through an inner tube. I don't know if you've ever tried, but I have. Of course it's you hard. Yeah. So maybe that all they think they need is plastic armor, right? Maybe this, it looks silly, but that's all they need because, you know, uh, I would have a hard time biting through a bleach bottle, right? Of that's course. just, that's kind of a stiff plastic. I would mm-hmm. have a hard time biting through that or even, uh, you know, a Nokia phone case. If you made armor out of friggin' Nokia phone case, you'd cover yourself in Nokia phones, you'd be fine, right? Sure. <laughs> and stylish too, I would bet. Why not? Uh, so I don't know what the heck is going on here with these guys. All right. Well, They're weird. They're kind of a juxtaposition of all kinds of weird different incongruities. But unlike anything we've ever seen on this show, right? Like we haven't yes. seen, we've seen real military. We've seen communities. We've seen people that are heavily armed. You know, but they're all just kind of normal people, sort of. This is very polished, very pristine, very specific white armor with, you know, heavy weapons, and they seem to be rather well organized. So here's the thing. I hope that wasn't, the last couple of minutes wasn't too painful for the listeners, but these guys are straight up out of the comic. Oh, um, and I, I was wanted, going, that was my next question. Be, be, that was my next question. Yeah. Before I revealed that, I just kind of wanted to see what was in your brain a little bit, you know, and see what, where the thought process was, um, with these guys. So end of the day, I think the show absolutely nailed the look of these guys when you factor right. in the comic. Now that's not always the right approach because as we know, some things don't translate very well. In this case, I'm undecided, I think, because I do think they looked awesome. They looked straight out of the comic, but I kind of agree with you. That armor is a little bit silly. Um, but is, you know, is it a Star Wars crossover issue of the comic? No. They, you know, the stormtroopers show up? No, afraid not. It's nothing like that. Okay. It is something else, which we, we won't get into. Um, but of course, you having not read the comic, I knew you didn't know that. So I was kind of just going with it to see, see what you were thinking, but. Does the armor translate better in black and white and illustrated rather than real life? Yeah, of course. I think it does. All right. Good. Um, but that being said, it's exactly how you imagine it or you, it's really exactly how you see it on the comic book page. So, you know, they did a great job there. Um, I'm sure we'll get used to it, but for now I agree it's a little bit wacky, but at the same time. I sort of know what this means for the show. I know where it's going. Um, and so do all the other comic readers out there. But, I see. You know, it's, it's a big introduction to, uh, to cap this episode off. Cool. So there you have it. That is season 10, episode 16, A Certain Doom. I thought it was really quite great, even though I was a little disappointed that as soon as we get The Walking Dead back, it's over again. For a long mm-hmm. time. Yep. Um, any other thoughts on it? Were you satisfied with this? I th- think it sounds like you were for the most part. I was for the most part. Uh, we had no significant primary character deaths uh, on the good guys, mm-hmm. which I'm a little disappointed in. I mean, this show kind of made its bones on killing primary characters. Yeah. So, you know, the big death we got was, uh, was Beta, but that was kind of expected. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little disappointed in that. Yeah. The whole idea here was to wrap up 
the Whisperer War, basically. So Beta had to die. We did lose Beatrice. We lost those two dudes uh, in the hospital with the nail grenade. And frankly, we almost lost Father Gabe. Uh, I would not have been upset had he been killed off. Not that I don't like him, but it felt like... It felt like he was a goner, and it felt like kind of the right time, so I wouldn't have been upset about that. But you're right. In a lot of peril and a lot of danger, everybody, all the major characters, survived. Yeah. Um, which is okay, but as you said, the show used to kill people off, you know, left, right, and center, which they've shied away from a little bit in recent seasons. Yeah. I guess we kind of knew that was going to happen, too. Right? Ah. You can't keep that kind of pace up. Well, that's otherwise the whole cast turns over every couple of seasons, right? So. Right, which is what they're doing with that anthology show, right? There's no expectation of survival of any uh, any characters in any of those episodes. No, that's right. That's right. The one coming, um, the one coming up in a couple of years. You mean? Yeah, Tales of the Walking Dead. Right. That's yeah. the one. Exactly. So great episode. Um, we have. Uh, you know, we have the other shows to look forward to now, and we have season 10.5, hopefully sometime early 2021. If it's early enough, the wait won't be that long, right? It's already, uh, the beginning of October. We just have to get through Halloween, Christmas, and, you know, maybe... Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving Th- next weekend Thanksgiving, here. Halloween, yep. Christmas, uh, New Year's. Yeah. Um, my birthday. Arbor Day, your birthday. Yeah. My birthday. Yeah. And then if, if, if the show comes back by your birthday, it'll be the end of February. That would be perfect, right? Yeah. Like There's four, a lot going to happen, you know, between now and then. There is. There really is. It's like, uh, it'll just fly by. <laughs> and the way this year is going, who knows what other crazy shit will happen in 2020 before the end of it. <laughs> I shudder to think of the possibilities. I know. I know. Just in general, this year can suck it, right? Like the whole friggin' year can just go take a flying leap. It's been quite the experience, and I would agree with that. All right. Yeah. I say we write the whole year out of continuity. Like at the end of the year, when everything's kind of settled down, we all collectively society, society get together and go, that shit never happened. Fuck it. Right. The, the <laughs> You know, we just finished 2019. And here we are in 2021. I don't know where yeah. that year went, but uh, yeah, it. I mean, it's not the first time that kind of shit has happened. No, you know when it started getting cold in August, and they were like, um, "You know what? It's kind of November now, so <laughs> we're just going to kind of skip September and October altogether." I think that happened in the 1500s or something. Well, the the calendar was all messed up. We got to drop a couple of months. Let's fix it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Sounds good. All right. Well, before we wrap up here. Really quick, thank you to Daniel S., who became a new patron on Patreon. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your contribution. If you want to be like Daniel, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetalkingdead and making a small monthly pledge. It's a great way to help support the show and everything we do. You can also make a one-time donation by hitting talkingdeadpodcast.com slash paypal and uh, sending a few bucks our way. We really appreciate everyone who does that. And thanks again to Daniel S. this week for becoming a new patron. I want to be like Daniel. I know. I'm sure you do. So go and become a patron. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Um, so coming up next on the podcast, we are going to do a feedback show on Thursday this week. 
Oh, I do have some work commitments, which I'm really, really hoping doesn't screw that up, but it shouldn't because Thursday night, as of now, I am free. Um, that'll be our feedback show for this episode. So get your feedback in everybody to our email address. If you can, your thoughts, your comments, your questions about this episode, what it all means to you and, and whether you liked it or not. Uh, we'd love to get most of that on a feedback show on Thursday night. And then next week, I think what we'll do, Jason, is do some thoughts on the first episode of The Walking Dead World Beyond. By then, we'll have watched it. I currently haven't seen it yet. I have not either. All right. So we'll do that. And in the same episode, maybe some thoughts on the Fear the Walking Dead season six season premiere. Sure. Um, we'll bulk, 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 bulk those together, if I could speak, into... Uh, into one episode and see where they're going and um, sort of decide what we're going to do after that, you know, um, at the time. Uh, I do know sometime in the fall we want to cover the boys a little bit because mm -hmm. that show is amazing, but we certainly won't abandon Walking Dead stuff, um, uh, you know, as World Beyond and Fear progress into the fall. Hopefully as amazing, phenomenal shows. Uh, let's hope so, man. Let's hope so. Fear season five was a dumpster fire, but maybe they've turned it around and they have their act together again for season six and world beyond is all new. I have a feeling that world beyond is going to inform a lot of things that we will be see happening on the main show upcoming and maybe even help understand who the stormtroopers are a little bit. So fear, I think is a, or not fear world beyond, I think is essential viewing. If you really want to keep yourself, you know, right on the edge of the, all the walking dead cannon that they're putting out there. Okay. That's so, good to know. Yeah. I think we got to check that out. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can send, well, you can visit the website, talkingdeadpodcast.com and click on send voicemail at the top record a message. That's a great way to send feedback in about this episode or anyone. You can find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the talking dead, or just send email to talking at gmail.com. All right. Thanks everyone. Uh, we will be back later this week with our feedback show. My name is Aaron. And I'm Jimmy. Elena. And my name is Andy. And this is Archmaster Rennie. And my name is Christian. My name's Christopher. Hello, my name's Clive from England. My name is Dan. My name is Daniel. Hi, my name is Deb. And my name is Diana. My name is Gemma. My name is Jim, but my friends call me Jim. And my name is John. And my name is Julie. And my name is Tressa. And my name is Justin. This is Catherine. And this is Stephen. And my name is Matt. And my name is Mike. My name is Negan. And this is Raymond Stahlheim. My name is Ryan. My name is Steve. And my name is Stace. And there are those who call me Tim. And my name is Tom Holland. This is the Trish. This is Tyler. And my name is Vince. My name is Wes. And until next time, everyone, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.